Hi, this is The Root Cellar, where we talk about the reasons why we choose to make, create, and continue to learn old-school homesteading skills in a modern world. My name is Andrea, and I live on a small farm in Eastern Oregon. And I'm Jolene. I also live in Eastern Oregon, and uh, I like to make things. Well, to kind of recap the week here on the farm, it is January, so there's not a lot going on. It's cold, but it's not as cold as usual, so we're not having to break ice for tanks for animals. So it is a good winter so far. I'm loving it. Where you've got rain but no snow. We've got some sunny days, a little bit of foggy days, but overall, good weather. The biggest surprise on the farm lately has been that Santa brought us to alpaca for Christmas for my daughter even though I'm the one I think is probably more excited about that because I'm interested in their fiber for spinning. And my daughter likes the idea of alpacas and llamas and she really doesn't know the difference between the two. But when it comes down to her actually taking care of them, yeah, I'm the one taking care of the alpacas. Oh yeah, I knew that was gonna happen because she was telling me all about them before Christmas, about how much she loves them. And then when you told me that Santa was bringing them, I was like, oh boy, that sounds like a lot of work, mom. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, their names are Gregor and Quiche, and that's what she came up with, which is great, awesome, mm -hmm. perfect, but now she's all excited to do all these things with them, and they're a little bit more or less excited about that. So we're Yeah, we're, they're kind of shy, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, they're pretty shy animals, and yeah. so we're working through it, and they're still so much fun to have, and they get along great with all the other animals, with the goats mm -hmm. and the turkeys and things, so it's been good, yeah. Anything new around the O'Neill household? Um, well, my husband's home this week. He works on the road, spends a lot of time in Texas, and uh, it, he just came home kind of... We never know very far in advance when he's going to be here, so halfway through last week, he was like, I'm on my way, and then he's here, and it seems like when he's here, we always end up just running a lot of errands and him doing a few things around the house that I can't do with three little kids all the time, so a couple things getting done, and... Oh, nothing else. Yeah, I would also piggyback on that, that when he's here, the one nice thing is, is you get a few hours away from the kids, right? <laughs> yes, a few hours away. So you are spending your few hours of free time this weekend working on this right here, with me. Yeah, yeah. Doing this. yeah, with this is being our, our first podcast. Um, it's kind of exciting. And mm -hmm. we're going to talk a little bit about why we decided to do this and how we kind of got started living yeah. here in Eastern Oregon. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I think just because you're so, your whole lifestyle, it seems like has become about this kind of farm and homesteading. So I think it would be good for our listeners to get an idea of that before we really get started, because I feel like you need to have a, an image in your mind about what we're talking about, where we're at before we can really tell all our stories and Okay, yeah, for sure. So to start with, we are sitting here as we visit mm -hmm. in what my husband's family calls the cabin. Mm -hmm. It's not a cabin in the woods. It is a cabin on the prairie. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> it was built as a guest house for his great-grandparents when they decided to move away from the farm. But we're able to still come back and visit for holidays and help with harvest. So my husband grew up on a dryland wheat farm in eastern Oregon. I grew up not too far away in a larger town, and we met at summer camp one one year. And yeah, he was telling me about what they did on the farm, and I didn't really have a clue what he was talking about. I didn't even really have a clue about where he lived, even when he told me his town's name. 
even though I was only about 45 minutes away from him. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing about this place is it's kind of an hour from anywhere. Yeah. Um, my When I first moved out here, I, I grew up in Portland. When I first moved out here, I remember my brother would tell people at school that my sister moved to the middle of nowhere. You you First you go to the middle of nowhere and then you take a left. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> How to get Seriously. Yours. Yeah. yeah, he first explained it to me like, oh, I live kind of by the, I live um, so many minutes from the Columbia River. And I'm like, okay, so do you like live in Washington? Like, what, what do you mean? Yeah. No, I live, I live south of that. Okay, like, it, I had no, I, yeah. I just had no concept of exactly what he was talking about. And again, I lived close by and I still had no idea of where he lived. So after... I met him and we started hanging out and I was really into the fact that he drove a 1965 Mustang and we started going out together. I was introduced to his family. One of the members of his family, his grandmother, she lived in the family's original 1903 homestead house out here on the farm. And before you know it, she had put me to work. I was cleaning out her tool shed. I was painting out buildings and fences, helping his dad clean out wheat bins and such. And I started to learn what things like an auger was and those types of vocabulary words that I never really knew or heard of before. And his grandmother, bless her heart, she was a taskmaster. So she would sit outside the tool shed, for instance, and point and direct to me exactly how things should be done and where things should, she, where things should go. And I learned the house and the outbuildings and where everything should be pretty quickly and pretty well. Before I knew it, I was going to school in Western Oregon, so was my husband, and his grandmother was living in assisted living facility, and when she passed away and we had the opportunity to move back here after my husband and I both finished graduate school, we couldn't really pass it up um, considering living in Portland, which we absolutely love Western Oregon, and we love Portland, and we love all the restaurants and all the things that are there. But being able to come back to the farm and live in his family's original homestead house, even though we ourselves weren't planning on getting involved with the farming, um, was an opportunity that our student loans wouldn't let us pass up. <laughs> and so that's kind of how we started here. And it was kind of adventure of learning by heirs, for sure. I'd grown up with a backyard garden and a few animals here and there. But when we moved here, uh, we tried gardening, and it was a big fiasco. My husband trying to apply chemicals, melting containers with chemicals, killing all the plants, not getting our watering <laughs> set up right, having no idea what composting was. Just, it, it was definitely a learning curve. We, <laughs> in the beginning, besides our garden, tried a few backyard chickens, which was fun but between the hawks the owls and coyotes never lasted very long we barely got eggs we just didn't really have a clue mm -hmm. and it wasn't until we were living here a few years that we really started taking it more seriously the concept of homesteading and actually getting to use some of the land that we were on um so yeah, it took us a while to transition from going from living in a really populous place to living in a, a rural lifestyle where you can't order out food, where oh yeah, yeah, you know all about that. Yeah, um, where things were just a lot different. It took us a couple years to transition. Mm -hmm. We lived down the valley for about seven years. The transition yeah. from living there to back to rural Oregon was tough. Mm -hmm. 
right? We live in a place where there are a couple little towns scattered around, um, and like the town where you teach is like a thousand, what a thousand people, something like, like that, something yeah. like a thousand, fourteen hundred. So, yeah. so like she's saying, there's not really restaurants or yeah, or anything. Well, and when you came, and when I got here, yeah. So I came here um, eight years ago um, to teach. I am an English teacher, um, and I took a job in the middle of a year where, un- unfortunately, a teacher had passed away, and um, I was the long-term sub. I remember the first time I drove out here, I remember passing. Did you, did, you, did you come out for your interview? Yeah, I came out for my interview one day, and I didn't. when the principal called to offer me the interview, he asked me if I knew where this place was, and I, I said, um, like, like, I'd never been past the Dalles. The Dalles is kind of... In the middle of in the, the state, middle yeah. of the state, I'd never been past there, and so he kind of laughed at me and gave me directions because I'm like, oh, I'll just put it into um, maps on my phone, and yeah. you know that wasn't quite as advanced as it is now, and he once again laughed at me and like, you're not gonna have service. <laughs> this is what you do. This is how you get here. Um, so I drove out here. It took turn left three, at the big tree. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and when you see these grain bins, yeah, that's how you told me to get to your house. Yeah. Turn, Turn left. You were like, what's a green bin? No. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What? (laughs) Um, So uh, I drove out here for an interview. Um, They hired me like an hour later. I think he waited an hour to call me because he knew I wouldn't have cell phone service (laughs) until I got back to the freeway. Um, So I came back like two days later. And what he told me is that he walked into your room and said, we just hired a teacher and you're going to be friends. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And then, and then, uh, I stayed here with you guys the yeah. first week. So he came in and said, hey, we hired this new gal. I think you guys are going to be friends, but mm-hmm. she needs a place to stay. Mm-hmm. We're trying to figure it out. And I said, well, we have this guest cabin, mm-hmm. this little house on the property that she could stay at, you mm-hmm. know, for a couple weeks till she finds her own place. Mm-hmm. And so I went home, told my husband, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that'll work out great. Now, knowing that, you need to also know that, the guest cabin is something that we just never really came over to check out or do anything with. It was more his family's place. And so nobody had been in it in probably a month. Mm-hmm. And that's when the trouble right, started. In the middle of the winter, because this was like February 1st, this all happened. Yes. So yeah. about the time that right it now. is right now. Yeah. Cold. <laughs> well, it's almost our friend anniversary again. That is true. <laughs> friend anniversary. And so I came over here to check it out, and there was an inch of water throughout the whole cabin, mm-hmm. and it smelled like mold, and the whole place was just a wreck. So there was there was no way she could stay here, and she was on her way here. Mm-hmm. And so she came and knocked on my front door, and I remember being like to my husband and Lita, my daughter, who was only like She's three. Like one and a half. One, I guess, yeah. Even yeah. You, well, that's crazy to think about. Yeah. It's like, be quiet. Like... She's going to have to, you know, I'm going to have to tell her, like, she has to stay with us or get a hotel room. Like, it's all. And so it was kind of this awkward, like, oh, by the way, the place we promised you is flooded, so here's yeah. our guest room. Yeah. Yeah, which worked out, I guess. Yeah. Serendipitous. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I stayed with them for a week, and then the principal actually, this is another small town thing. The principal's so involved in everything. Yeah. He helped me find a place to stay, an apartment to live in in town, because there's not, I'm not really, like, apartment complexes like you would imagine no. if you're from the city there's like apartments that are you know like triplexes and things um so everything's so much more word of mouth like yeah you know somebody who knows yeah somebody. so he called up so-and-so that knew that so-and-so's apartment was open somewhere so anyway um then I got a place and we just started hanging out and 
yeah doing all that fun stuff all the time yeah um well, and you were single and kidless, yeah. and I was like, oh, yay, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. I have you all to myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like your little, like, I don't know, I just kind of, like your minion or something, following you around doing everything. I was over here for holidays. Minion makes it sound like I was making you do slave labor. No, <laughs> none of that. <laughs> none of that, but teaching me stuff. We did a lot of quilting projects yeah. and um sewing stuff. Sewing yeah. stuff at the time, because between the two of us, two adults and one toddler is no big deal yeah now between the two of us we have five children yes (laughs) um so a year after I moved out here um, I met my husband who's a local Um, he's not a farmer um, or from a farming family like your husband but um his family is actually loggers um and he lived in town and I met him you know the next not that summer but the next summer and um things happen fast I guess and we ended up, we have three kids under under six, I guess, now. Cause yeah. The boys just turned. We actually have boys who are less than a week apart. We were pregnant at the same time. That's true. All this yeah. stuff. Our two oldest boys are, yeah. 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 I think they probably would have been born closer to the same day had I went ahead and waited. Mm-hmm. And waited. I was yeah. impatient. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so um, after, let's see. Where was I in this conversation? Well, <laughs> you my train of thought. Yeah, well, you got here. I got and here. Kind of fast made friends mm-hmm. and learning and things together. Yeah. And uh, and then, just as time went on, I kind of started getting more into preserving food. So I'm the the canning person, where Andrea is the gardener. Um, and then I also am into fiber arts, mainly just crochet. Actually, um, I make a lot of hats. Yeah, but you're much more advanced in just hat making, like. You can oh. crochet anything. You're like a master crocheter. You're like the Yoda yeah. of crocheting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I uh, I do. I can crochet anything. And now I'm at the point where I can write my own patterns. So like just today I was looking at this morning. Um, someone sent me a picture of a hat that was like a cupcake, like a baby hat that looks like a cupcake. And I went and looking for a pattern. I'm like, I don't like any of those. And I just already have it in my head how I'm going to do it myself because I didn't like the exact one that I was sent and so that's, that's pretty impressive that's my yeah. thing yeah, which makes me excited about the alpacas too because alpaca yarn is those are my dream animal but I don't I don't have animals I just have children and dogs <laughs> and cats <laughs> so so I'm still at that point and then um the canning is what I really got into more um in the last year or so my husband my husband likes to always have the best of everything or what he perceives as the best so um there was this time when was it remember when we did the soup trade oh yeah yeah that was mm-hmm. a couple years ago at least that was at least years ago, three yeah. years ago because we got together with a couple other friends and we said let's all make different soup and then trade it so that you know if you make chicken noodle and i make well, i don't remember oh no you made a potato one and yeah. i made a split pea yeah and then um it was like let's put the soup up and then trade it and then we'll all have different soups for the fall. It's be wonderful. Well, at that time is when I found out that you can't just dump things in jars and put the lid on it and call it preserved. That's not <laughs> how it works. I literally had no idea because my mom doesn't do any of that stuff. Um, my aunt does, but I, I, you know, didn't learn it. Um, so I, my husband then, goes online on Amazon and finds that I need a pressure canner and of course buys 
Oh, he corrected me on this the other day because I was telling somebody he bought the biggest one. Oh, no, he bought the second biggest one <laughs> that you can buy for home use. Um, it's so big that when that I don't use it in the house because I can hardly get quart jars in it because of the hood vent on my on my range. Yeah. So um, then I had this big piece of equipment and I don't want to waste it. So I started learning how to can things a little bit more. Um, After you canned how many quarts of... What was that cream of something? Oh, yes. I've made so many horrible mistakes. So um, I, one year, this was like two years ago, Thanksgiving, we smoked a turkey and it was so good and I didn't want to waste the carcass. So of course you can boil it down and make stock. And I did that. And then my husband said, you know, it'd be really good. Is like a chowder out of this, like a corn chowder. Oh yeah, that'd be great. So I put the corn in it. I put carrots in it. I put celery, everything. Um, and it was delicious. It was wonderful. It made this beautiful cream soup. There were like eight gallons of soup and I, uh, and I canned it in the pressure canner and I was like so proud of myself. I hadn't really used it yet, but I read the whole instruction manual and I, it didn't say how to, how long to can chowder, but I was just like, well, it's a turkey soup. So I'll just do turkey soup number, which was like 90 minutes at 11 pounds or something like that. So I just do that. And of course you can't see in there when it's when it's um, canning and then you have to like let off the pressure and leave it and let it cool down so it doesn't explode in your face really important Um, and then uh, open it up pull out a quart and it's the most disgusting curdled (laughs) mess you ever saw I'm like just standing there in shock I think I cried actually (laughs) because I had it's to cook down a carcass and make stock takes a whole day yeah and so I've been working on that chopping all these vegetables, all wasted. And then later I talked to my aunt, who's really into canning, really good at it. And she's like, you can't can cream soup. That's not, you You can't do that. Nothing, no milk products. I'm like, why didn't somebody tell me this? <laughs> so all my soup was ruined. But um, after that, I learned um, that you need to be more careful about using um, approved recipes. There's the... What is it called? The National Center for Home Preservation. They have a website and any information you would need. If it's not on there, don't can it, basically. It's not safe. So So it's not going to be a risk taker when it comes to canning? No, because <laughs> people die from botulism. It's botulism, thing. right? Yeah, right. we don't want to be sick. Um, I did read somewhere that it's actually green beans are the most dangerous, which is one of the most common things that people can. Really? But oh. green beans are where most people have died from. That makes and me a bit nervous about my last can of green beans down in the basement. Well, just make sure it doesn't look off when you open it, I guess, and the yeah. seal is good. Yeah. But Well, actually, I was thinking back to the first time the pressure canner. Remember, you brought your pressure canner over, and yeah, my mom, your mom who also here. cans, was trying to, I don't even remember what we were making. Maybe it was the green beans. It was green beans. It was the green beans. And we were out picking them, like trying to get enough to fill the jars because we didn't have that many. Yeah. And she was like, it's fine. It's fine. And we were freaked out. Like We were hiding behind the door. Like the the kitchen kitchen. door. (laughs) And she's like, it's fine. We're like, but how does it explode? It's going to explode. Right. But now I know they don't just explode out of nowhere. What happens is if you don't let the pressure off and you don't let it cool down and then you try to open the wing nuts, then it blows the top. Yeah. Yeah. But I remember my mom just being like, you, could, you girls are, are being ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. You girls are being ridiculous. ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. So definitely like an adventure for sure. But I think that kind of brings us to why are we, yeah. why are we even why, doing Yeah, this? just buy a can of green beans. Yeah. Like it's like 87 cents. Yeah. For, or like why crochet a hat or right. 
why do a quilt? Why have your own right. garden or your own animals or whatever? Mm-hmm. And I think part of it's the challenge of being able mm-hmm. to do it. Mm-hmm. And part of it is the the allure of being able to have tasty things that yeah, you've control done yourself it. that you mm-hmm. can control that you know what you're getting control the product mm-hmm. and that's it's what kind we of were a just, lost art that's right? what we were just telling my husband's friend yeah. who was over the other night because i anyone who comes to my house walks away with a whole box full of canned goods <laughs> <laughs> so i was giving him pickles and and corn and carrots and all these different things and uh, we were talking to him about that and it was like it, about the pickles because yeah. that's where i kind of started doing more canning was my husband wants really spicy pickles and he has he is a little bit um demanding about food he likes things to be certain ways and he's gotten in trouble many times because I think I'm a pretty good cook but he will I'll serve him something and be proud of it and then he's like well I think you should have put some of this in there or next time you should brown this before you do that and I'm just like could you just eat it yeah just next time like don't sit in front of the plate and tell me how it could have been better if you need to tell me do it later but so with the pickles he wanted them to be really spicy yeah and so he started growing spicy peppers to put in there and then we found that if you dried them first then it was more like put all i mean i and then he also wouldn't wait so he would get home and open a jar of pickles that I just done. Well, pickles like have a a time limit on them. You need to leave them for a month before you try to eat them because it they have to basically steep in all that vinegar and dill yeah. and everything. Um, so he'd come home and open it and be like, "These aren't spicy at all. These are bland." Like- and I'm like, "Okay," but I didn't really know at the time either because I hadn't done as much reading. So I at one at some point I just started. I got like mad at him about about saying they weren't spicy enough so i just started dumping like <laughs> like red pepper flakes into the into each jar like like three tablespoons of red pepper flakes four dried habaneros two serranos spicy then, enough for you man yeah and then like here's your spicy pickles <laughs> and then those ones actually after they uh sat for a year those ones were inedible <laughs> you give but, those ones to the friends you don't really like yeah like here take these it's like oh and the um the red pepper flakes makes the uh the brine all cloudy and gross looking so oh. Something so, else that something you else yeah. to learn, but, um, but anyway, so like to be able to control it like that. Now we've kind of got it down to an art yeah. with how many peppers to put in there and how long to leave it. But, um, but being yeah, being able to control things, and I like to add different things. Like we were just talking about blueberry jam. Yeah, I made blueberry jam this year, and I feel like it's gritty, and I don't like the texture, but. Um, I like to add something to it, so it was cinnamon in the blueberry jam. And it's I delicious, I will say. Yeah, I so the flavor's good, but. And I didn't notice the grittiness. I think you you're being it. overly. I'm analyzing it too yeah. much. Yeah. And, or like I'm making my other one. My favorite one is a peach one with ginger. Yeah. In it. And I'm not even like a blueberry fan that much. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was really good. Like I made sandwiches for the kids PB and J's. I'm like, wow, this is awesome. Yeah. I'm not supposed to be eating all this. And this is tasty. Like, yeah. Yeah. Cause we are, we're, we're low carb right now. <laughs> And so jam is kind of a no-go. That's another reason why when people come over, I'm like, oh, here, I have 78 jars of jam. Would you like some? Because I can't eat it. (laughs) So, um, Everybody has to take a jar of jam with them when they leave. Yeah, here you go. Um, Mandatory. Right. And 
the one I'm going to run out of, this is so weird. I don't know if you know this. Um, so do you know what corn cob jelly is? Did I show you that you one? You gave me some. Oh, I, I haven't opened some? it yet because as, as oh. I'm still a bit like, It's kind of weird. Eh. I think it's kind of mm. weird. Well, it happens to be my five-year-old's favorite, and I only made six jars of it. So corn cob jelly is, like, I was canning corn, and then I saw this recipe for corn cob jelly. You just take the cobs after you've removed the kernels and boil them for like 20 minutes or something until you have corn juice and then make a jelly out of it and for some reason my son is obsessed with it it kind of tastes like honey but a little nuttier nutty honey yeah nutty honey like a like a well like a corn flavor honey plus it's the sweet i guess what you're making is corn syrup kind of oh yeah and then like that's kind of a weird thought but yeah. yeah so i'm giving him like Corn syrup Jelly jam. corn syrup. Yeah, on his peanut butter sandwiches. And oh, he's obsessed with it. I want corn cob jelly. I want corn cob jelly. And I'm like, I think it's kind of, I don't really like it that much, but he loves it. Huh. Now it's, I'm like curious. Now it, I have to open the jar. Yeah, it's it'll be good on a buttered biscuit, I think. Not yeah. with peanut butter, but that's what he's into. Yeah. So huh. it's kind of a weird. Interesting. Yeah, you're definitely the canner, the, can, the canning lady. Yeah. I've done it. Like I dabble. I make jams. I've tried mm. pickles, which my pickles are nasty i'm just gonna say it i still have like three or four jars of them that i keep i think more for decoration mm-hmm. to the show that i've done it but right. i'm like those keep are them nasty. too long they'll like start to discolor and yeah i think i just need to dump them give you the jars and like, <laughs> give a trade in yeah <laughs> right that's a thing if you know someone who's a canner and they're giving you jars of food return the jars and you'll probably get them back with more food yes the jars are the expensive part <laughs> so true like what was it last year like you were getting jars from all over the place mm-hmm. i had got some jars from some family members for mm-hmm. you and like mm-hmm. that's the big thing the big jar collection mm-hmm. yep. yeah trying to find jars oh yeah my husband's shop there's a whole wall of like jars stacked up now and he's like this is my space I'm like, sorry buddy <laughs> so you want to hear something really awful that you're not gonna like sure. we first moved in oh, no. to our house so his grandmother of course had lived there since the 1940s and right. she was big into preserving food she was a home ec. Well, she had to be well yeah well yeah. And she was a she was a home ec major at oregon state university oh, that's interesting yeah and so she actually taught home ec and everything before she was just a you know 50s housewife type of thing mm-hmm. and when i first moved here she had jars and jars oh, of canned salmon and canned oh. all kinds of canned stuff that like kind of freaked me out i'm like yeah oh. So that stuff still kind of freaked me out. And the idea of eating, especially things other than jams or other than fruits, mm-hmm. freaked me out. Mm-hmm. Canned, mm-hmm. self-canned. And she had tons of jars, boxes mm-hmm. of jars and all this canned stuff. And I got rid of all of them. Because <laughs> yeah. so I, I gave them to my mom. I gave them to family. I just threw some away like because mm-hmm. I just wasn't. Mm-hmm. at that point yet and i didn't really know well, and i you know at some point they lose their integrity so yeah you kind of have to watch it. i mean i've had um jars burst in the canner um be- and usually it's a jar that has been either used for something else like uh, i um found out if you use them with like if you put a candle in it and burn candles in it you cannot use those ones for canning, canning later because the heat from the inside that huh. direct heat like ruins it um and then 
just anything. I mean, if you if you need to be careful about like putting a fork in there to get pickles out, like not scraping the insides of the jar. It's kind of like your windshield. You know how it's more fragile from yeah. the inside. Same kind of thing I think with the jars. I had no idea. But, yeah, they can break sometimes, and sometimes you haven't done anything wrong. They just yeah. break because they have a fault in the glass or something. Yeah. But but if they're really old, you kind of use them more for the crafts and the decor and stuff. So what would you say? What is your favorite thing to cam? Don't say asparagus because I don't grow that. <laughs> the asparagus is just the most popular thing I yeah. think because it's all gone my husband sold all of my asparagus what did we make 41 quarts yeah Four, yeah it was 41 quarts of asparagus and my husband sold it all to his crew for $15 a jar Woo. Ooh, yeah. big money that's a nice little paycheck um <clears throat> so um I think I like making jams because I like to make different types of jam like I don't just want to make plain, like I'm saying, like plain peach. Yeah. Plain peach jam is great, but peach with ginger is even better or peach with vanilla is even better. Yeah. And so they're like more specialty kind of yeah. things. I like to do that. Well, what I'm trying to get at is, so, you know, I'm ordering seeds right now, planning oh. for the spring oh, and yeah. summer planting, mm -hmm. expanding my garden. The high tunnels are going to be up and running full function this year, knock on wood. Mm -hmm. And... What should I be planting that I can then hand over to you to can? Mm, to turn around. To turn around. Um, pickling cucumbers. But the issue with pickling cucumbers is then they are like zucchini where they get too big. They get too big in five seconds. Yeah. So it's like, oh, this turn is a cute around. little one. And, and then, <laughs> yeah. like and then like, whoa, hey, that's <laughs> all of a sudden it's yellow and pithy. Yeah. It's gross. Um, and you want them to kind of be all the same size. So to get a lot of them the same size, you have to be, you have to have a lot of plants. So I hear I'm not a very good gardener. Um, <laughs> so you have to have a lot of plants and you have to ha be picking them constantly. Yeah. So pickling cucumbers is one thing, but that's a challenge in that way. Strawberries. Yeah. Yeah. I do strawberries, strawberries but yeah, I don't do. have like the big, one thing I think people don't realize when you grow strawberries, you're generally not growing the big ginormous ones mm -hmm. that you buy at the grocery store. They're small, they're sweeter, mm -hmm. and I have everberries, so they continue right. ripening throughout the summer. We were still picking them in like the end of July. Oh, oh, further into that, actually, mm -hmm. I get some of my best berries in September and mm -hmm. the beginning of October because it's where we live, it gets so hot during mm -hmm. the summer, especially August, that actually many of the vegetables and fruits especially like are almost dormant when it's mm -hmm. so hot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then things kind of come back alive in mm -hmm. September when it cools off. Mm -hmm. So it's very common here to have days over 100 degrees mm -hmm. in a row. And things, people, plants, animals, everything just kind of stops and tries mm -hmm. to stay cool during that time. It doesn't matter how much I water or whatever. Yeah. Things just don't do great right. besides maybe like tomatoes. <laughs> yeah, tomatoes like the heat. But Which I don't really like canning tomato sauce i learned that this year too <laughs> yeah. that was another one of my fiascos i just this year i just kind of tried to do a batch of everything that i could think of yeah. because i wanted to see what i liked and i do not like making tomato sauce first of all i don't like tomato sauce very much i like a tomato i will eat them by the handful but i don't like the sauce so i said to myself well i'll make tomato sauce and make it a way that i like because i seem to like the ones the, the commercial ones that have more herbs in them yeah um so i'm like i'll just put a whole basil plant in there <laughs> and uh yeah it's still it took me six hours i only ended up with six quarts which is like quarts are just a little bit bigger than the jar you buy in the store and it cost me so for people $20. who may not know what that is it's like a quarter of a gallon yeah yeah so think of a gallon of milk in your fridge okay. and you made like a gallon of sauce yeah. right or a little bit more a gallon and a half of sauce yeah 
Yep. For all day of work. For all day. And it was and tons a, of pain tomatoes. The, a pain in the rear because you have to peel the tomatoes, which is also to help reduce risk of botulism. So you have to get all the skins off and do all this stuff. And it took me the whole day. And I just still didn't like it. Yeah. My kids like it. They eat it. But I, I'm just not, not that into it. So um, and it takes you a ton of tomato. It took, I think it was like 20 pounds of tomatoes. Yeah. And that's what I got. And so it actually is cheaper to buy it from the store. So that's kind of, I guess that's kind of why we're doing this is to talk about like, why am I compelled to do this? I am not compelled to make tomato sauce ever. Again. <laughs> <laughs> My aunt though makes really good tomato sauce. And she says the secret is a ton of zucchini and carrots in it. Really? Yep. That's she surprising. It changes, it makes it sweeter and it changes the consistency. Hmm. So I don't know, but I guess I didn't try it that way, but, but I am not, I don't want to do that again, but I do want to make jam all the time. Yeah. Because I think my jam is better than store jam. Yeah, for sure. So yeah. And more variety. Yeah. Well, and I think, yeah, that's, I think for our listeners, that's the big thing that we want to focus on throughout this podcast is the reasons why we're doing all of this crazy stuff. You might be Mm -hmm. listening being like, why don't I just go to the store? Mm-hmm. Well, for a few different reasons. Well, because it's an hour and a half from here. Yeah. Um, especially high quality mm-hmm. foods are not ex- readily accessible where we live. But mm-hmm. also, we both obviously like challenges. We like to solve mm-hmm. things. And we like to figure out if we can do things for ourselves. And we really don't feel like we're the only ones. No, not at all. Or else there wouldn't be Pinterest. Yeah. No kidding. Right? Yeah. And I think for our generation too. So we're, you know middle class white ladies in our thirties. And I think that, like you said, Pinterest, there's obviously an interest there in making things, creating things for yourself, whether it's preserving Mm -hmm. food or sewing projects or painting or just Mm -hmm. little arts and crafty stuff. Mm -hmm. People are interested in that. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's a bit of a generational gap there Mm -hmm. between maybe our grandparents who did a lot of that out of necessity versus our parents who didn't have to do it. To now us where we really don't need to be doing this either. Yeah. But we want to. Right. And why is that? Right. And we have, you know? yeah, we have our little society here. And this might be part of why I stayed out here is because yeah. there is this kind of DIY group. I yeah. feel like that, that our little social group. Um, and so it's, that's comfortable to me. I like that. Um, and the people that I knew in the city didn't weren't as interested in it they weren't as connected to um the life around them i guess because it was like we were i don't know we had restaurants and we had grab and go stuff and um and stores clothing stores right close all the time too which yeah so things that are different and i would say even i don't know even um for you or for I, I think if I were to ever move back to the valley or if you were to move to more metropolitan area, mm-hmm. I think I would still try to mm-hmm. carry out what I do here on our homestead. Like yeah. gardening, yeah. whatever animals I could have, backyard chickens, right. so to speak, because there's something to it even beyond that sustainability right. or wanting your freshest right. product. But also there's almost like a some kind of satisfaction there's a satisfaction almost a meditative quality when you're doing it Mm -hmm. too and a relaxing and you and i both teach and we're working with people all day and people who need us and different needs and we both have families and getting to Mm -hmm. be able to use our creative side whether it's preserving food or sewing something is relaxing and kind of uh and which they have done studies on the meditative qualities of like knitting and 
and right. crocheting and things like that. Right. Yeah. Things like that. Or like I, I really like chopping vegetables. Yeah. Oddly. Yeah. Which a lot of people don't. I, I don't like chopping vegetables for one meal and like four different things and it has to be all yeah. done right now because it has to go in the pot. But I like when I'm canning and I kind of have a process of like, okay, now I'm going to pack all the jars and put all of these yeah. um, cucumbers, slice them nicely, evenly, put them all in there. It's kind of just a nice process, like you're saying. Yeah. And I think that our next podcast, um, I'll share a little bit more about what my husband, again, I'm a teacher and he's a lawyer. So how we ended up doing everything that we do here on my farm and the reasons why we kind of do that. And I think Jolene's going to share a little bit more about her process and Mm -hmm. how she came to do what she does Mm -hmm. and what she's looking forward to doing more in the future. Um, One little tidbit before we go, um, just a book recommendation for those of us who are just would be getting interested in gardening. This is kind of the first book that I started with about trying a um, homestead and gardening and, and preserving food. And that is The Backyard Homestead by Caroline Madigan. And it was a great resource for me. It has all kinds of things about what to do depending on your acreage size, as well as um, how to preserve food, how to grow your own food, and how to get a garden going. And so I'd recommend it again for anyone who's kind of interested in what we're talking about. It's called the Backyard Homestead. And uh, next time we'll be talking about self-sufficiency, kind of the allure of that, like we've been talking about a little bit, but we'll dig a little deeper. And uh, thanks for listening. Yes. And we'll be here continuing to preserve the pioneer spirit in the root cellar. Thank you.